is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi everyone, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 557, recorded on Monday, October the 25th, 2021. Welcome to the program, everyone. Jason, how are you doing this week? I'm doing okay, Chris. How are uh, how are you? I am pretty good. Still still busy with a lot of things going on. I've been running all over the place and doing stuff, but uh, always find time to podcast. Well, almost always, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once we got, in a while. We got lucky this week. We both found time. There you go. Uh, yeah, so we are, are, as you probably know, not talking about the main Walking Dead TV show right now because it has gone on hiatus. But we still have Walking Dead World Beyond and Fear the Walking Dead. And since last week we got started with the first two episodes of World Beyond, I thought we would continue that this week as I announced last week and go with the uh, third and fourth episodes of World Beyond as we uh, before we take a break and switch over to fear but we'll talk about that more at the end sure all right so no not much of a preamble today really just going to get into these episodes they are World Beyond season two episode three called Exit Wounds Mm -hmm. and episode four called family is a four-letter word (laughs) yep which is just straight up incorrect however anyways i wanted to do this one of the reasons i wanted to do this jason is because i watched episodes one and two last week as did you and i thought that they were pretty good i thought it was a pretty good start to the season i thought they picked up where season two one left off and I was enjoying it. And I thought, you know what? I'm excited. I'm happy. I feel, I'm feeling good about World Beyond and where it's going and what it's going to give us this season for number two. And then I watched episodes three and four. Mm-hmm. I hated these two. I hated you them. You hated, I, hated, hated them. I, I, I'm regretting my decision to continue talking about it this week. I disliked them so much. Oh, that's, that's, that's sad to hear. I thought they were okay. I thought the first two episodes were okay. I'm having a hard time uh, caring okay. about this show <laughs> and about uh, maintaining uh, mental uh, hold on what's happening at any given moment. Like focus uh, on it, yeah. I just, it just, it just goes in, you know, into my eye holes and right out the back of my head. It's, it's just like there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing, there's a very little brain matter in there that's retaining information. Yeah. And it's, it's really difficult. I've actually had to go back, uh, in these two episodes and I don't know if it's particular to these two episodes or not, but I watched them and then like, I, I panicked a little bit about an hour ago and I'm thinking, I got nothing. I don't, I don't, I mean, the only, I've only got one or two points that I can think of to talk about. So I went back and I read, uh, a complete synopsis on the walking dead, uh, wiki, which you told me to go to. Uh, which has been a fantastic resource in the it last is. week. Uh, I, so I've read the synopsis for both of these episodes, uh, and now I'm panicking again because I, uh, I, I, I don't have a whole lot <laughs> okay. of memory of what actually happened, so uh, I'm hoping we can talk about it. But as far as quality goes, I don't know if this speaks to quality or not, but uh, I thought they were okay. I think the impression I got was uh, was generally all right. Yeah, well, sure. I'm not talking about 
like filmmaking or anything like that. Incidentally, both of these were directed by Aisha Tyler, which I think uh, yeah, is- Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was, that's fantastic. Which is cool. I'm a big fan of hers uh, and, and all the stuff she's done. So I was looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing what she could do here. And I don't think there was anything wrong with the directing, nothing like that. But I think these two episodes, three and four, were so different to me than one and two. And they just didn't deliver- on what I thought the first two were setting up. When you talk, when you look at how much information we got about the CRM uh, and what Kublik is doing and the science they're trying to do and all that kind of stuff, I really liked all that. And I was impressed that the show in the first two episodes kind of went with all that to to show it to us. And and as I think I said, it's like the first season of of World Beyond was them setting up the characters and introducing us to these friends who are out on the road, really inexperienced and all that kind of stuff. And I thought season two was going to be, okay, we're, we've done all that now. Now let's really see what the CRM is doing and how it fits into the bigger Walking Dead universe. And then three and four came along and I feel like there was almost none of that. And we reverted back to these sort of the interpersonal relationships a little bit between these characters. Now, it is colored by the fact that one of them, Hope, is in the CRM with Huck there at the research facility, and Iris yeah. and Felix are over in the perimeter. And in fact, now um, Elton and Percy are as well. But, but it was all just sort of you know, her, them getting there and reuniting in a way. And I just felt like it dragged on and dragged on and was truly disappointing to me watching these ones. Well, you don't like people just riding horses and talking? I, I do just for sure. I mean, floppity, tickety, talkity. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that, but that's not what I wanted here. And I don't think this really gave us anything to grab onto and, or, or push the story forward that much. Um, it was drawn out and I found it, dare I say, kind of boring these episodes. Well, it did seem, uh, uh exit wounds in particular did seem very high schooly, right? It, it just, yeah. it seemed like, uh, well, and, and literally takes place. Some of the, the, some of the story takes place in a high school, but it all, it all seemed like, um, uh, uh, well, I don't know whether this is on purpose or not, but, uh, it's very young adult, uh, what we're yes. going through here. So I, maybe you and I aren't the primary audience target for this show. And I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. Uh, if we haven't, then we should have. Yeah, no, uh, you're, you're right. It's, it's young adult and we're not maybe the primary audience, but we are zombie fans. We're walking dead fans. Uh, you know, we're good TV fans, but in my opinion, we we strayed a little bit far from good TV on number three and four, where I thought one and two had it. They nailed it on those ones. All right. Well, tell me about another young adult show. You have a couple of daughters that uh, fall under the category of young adult, uh, they're, in my opinion. They're close. I mean, 12 and They're closer 14. than Jasper is. That's for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, tell me about another young adult show that is of very good quality. Well, do you consider Stranger Things a young adult show? I do not. Okay. Well, that's their favorite show. Uh, okay. And, that's good. And I do find that show pretty good. That being said. Young adult being like uh, primarily concerned with interpersonal relationships and 
I don't know, high school backbiting. I don't know. That's <laughs> yeah. the thing is, uh, I'm thinking, uh, that's primary what I'm primarily what I'm thinking is some kind of either comedy or drama that, uh, talk primarily deals with, uh, young adult themes like relationships, interpersonal relationships, or, uh, that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know if I can name one because honestly, my kids don't really watch very much stuff. When we do watch TV, I mean, they're busy with school, they're busy with other things. And as you know, when we do watch TV right now, we've been watching Lost with them and we're still doing that. When we're not watching that, it's it's movies sometimes or, or whatever. So I, I'm not even sure I can name another young adult show, certainly not one that they watch. Okay. Yeah. Well, keep an eye out because I can't think of anything. I think it, it's all crap. Even when I was a young adult, I still thought it was all crap. Uh, and I, and I was not wrong because looking back on the, uh, the stuff that happened in the late eighties, early nineties, uh, that was aimed at me. It's all garbage. It's all complete and utter garbage. And it was garbage back then. Uh, so I haven't really found anything aimed at that target audience that is of any quality and mm. never has been. So I'm wondering if this show falls into that trap, that they're aiming young for an audience. And by aiming young, you get anybody our age trying to write things for young adults, you're going to fuck it up. I, right? I guess, I suppose. But how young are they aiming, really? Like, I, one thing that I thought of or I realized is that, I mean, obviously all the primary characters on this show are younger late teens basically right maybe yeah. maybe 20 maybe and or early 20s but pretty young and it seems like every time they meet a new character it is of somebody of that age group right when they introduce yep. um what's his face who's kind of a uh a, a love interest for hope at the crm that yep. curly blonde haired guy you know, he's the same age and she's hanging out with all these other kids who are there, you know, kids, teenagers who are there doing the science. I mean, obviously we have adult characters like Leo and, um, you know, the other scientists and Kublik and stuff like that. But it, it strikes me as, or even last season when they ran into Percy, right? It's like four characters out on the road. The first person they meet is another guy who's 19 or something like that. It struck uh -huh. me as kind of, uh, I don't know, hard to believe a little bit that you'd running into all these young people that were alone. Maybe that's just me being silly. I don't know. Um, but I just don't think, I just don't think that that's, uh, having a show about young people, maybe for young people means it can't also be enjoyable by old guys like you and me. No, and it shouldn't be. But I think that that's the trap that a lot of, uh, shows, even, uh, shows that are aimed at kids, like younger kids, uh, you know, five to seven year olds fall under that trap. Yeah. And this was something that we did. I don't know if, you know, well, you know, but many, many, many of the listeners may or may not know that I was in a clown band for a long time and we performed a lot of shows that are aimed at a younger audience. Yeah. But we had to sprinkle in jokes that only the adults would get, because if you just aim at the kids, the kids don't decide where to go. And who, what, what, uh, clown band to see at a mall on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Well, they, they don't, don't the, the adults decide. Right. Right. So if the adults aren't entertained, then you lose your audience. So we made very sure that, uh, 
that some of the humor was aimed higher than just five to seven year olds. For sure. So, uh, and in a lot of shows and a lot of uh, children's act acts don't realize that they don't have that, and that marks a really good kids show, kids movies. You go to a movie where you bring your seven year old and you sit down in the seat. If the uh, if the parent or the adult is not entertained, you're not coming back for a sequel. Right, right. You have to, it, and it's a very hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, sure this show is successful at that. And this is my concern. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that this isn't a show for children, though. Like, it's not a show for five to seven or nine-year-olds. No, no, you, it's, it's young adult. It's older. It's, it's 15 to 17, I'm, I'm thinking, right? 15 to 17-year-olds. Uh Primarily concerned with high school and interpersonal, I don't know what kids, you know, my primary concern in that age group was high school and interpersonal relationships and being in a band and trying to get drunk. But, uh, you know, if it's aimed at that, uh, I forget my exact point. I started this sentence a long time ago and I don't remember what the main agenda was well, for if this it's, sentence. If it's aimed at that, I mean, that's not you and I. But, but, uh, right. And I get what you're saying. Uh, but episode one, two, it, it, how different was it? And I thought they were really great. You know, yeah. there they were. I liked it. So anyways, I didn't really expect us to start here with all of, all of that, but it is a really good point, um, that may factor into what was wrong with these two particular episodes. But if we can sort of get into the specifics a little bit, um, essentially, one of the things, one of the big things that happens here is that Hope and Huck go to the perimeter to try to bring Felix and Iris back because Leo's getting upset that only one of his daughters is there. And so Hope convinces uh, Huck or Jennifer, as she is called most of the time now, uh, to in a derogatory tone, which is fun. Kind of, yeah. Which Jennifer. is Jennifer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Everybody who uses her name, her mother, Felix. You know, it's funny. Yeah. Um, they go to the perimeter to try to bring them back, and it doesn't work because uh, Iris and Felix are entrenched in the other side. They are. They believe that the CRM was responsible for the destruction of the campus colony in Omaha, which we as the viewers know they are, or they were. Uh, but um, until the very end of episode four, I think, Hope, or at least Huck, don't believe that. Although Huck yeah. does come around to that side at the end of the episode, it seems. Because she confronts her mother about it, and her mother doesn't really say straight up, yeah, we did it, but it's becoming clear to her. Yeah. How did uh, Hope and Huck know that uh, that they were at the perimeter? Um, I I may have missed that. Yeah, if if it's there, I missed it too. Oh, wait a minute. No, didn't uh, Huck Huck directed? Uh, didn't Huck direct Iris there? Say, go here. You'll be safe here. So Huck knows where they are. I'm pretty sure that's a thing. Okay. Um, they separated uh, Huck slash Jennifer, told Iris, go here, there's people there, you'll, you'll be safe there. What Huck didn't know is that Will is still alive, right? right? And they've run into Will. And so that's another big thing in these episodes that Huck finds out that Will 
is alive, which is a big deal, which is what factors into her realizing that maybe her mother and the CRM aren't so on the up and up because they're out there trying to hunt and kill him or that's what they wanted to do anyways. Right. Okay. Um, but ultimately I think the big sort of, uh, the, 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 the big level or big item of tension or whatever that they're setting up here is kind of all revolves around Huck, if you ask me, I think, right? She's the one now who, uh, she finds out Will is alive. That what that's what starts her on the road down to sort of losing her faith in the CRM. But she's also, it's also her mother, right? So she is loyal to her to a certain degree. And we've got Felix, especially, who is really pissed at her. And Iris, who is too, of course. But then... Hope, who's living in the CRM already at the research facility, as as they call it, um, kind of on the other side, and Huck's sort of in the middle. It's like, what does she do? And I feel like that's sort of what these episodes were setting up in a way, amongst all of the other things with um, uh, Elton and Percy and so on. So it does feel like Huck's going to play a big role in this season in terms of which side she falls on, ultimately. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. So, uh, that's fine. I, I feel like it could have taken a lot less time to set that up, uh, and sort of give us all that information, but whatever, that's, that's where we are. Um, now speaking of Huck, she's also, you know, she's also involved with this Dennis guy. I married maybe, or some sort of relationship anyways. Eh, why, you know, marriage in the, uh, you know, times. Who cares? Yeah, sure. It doesn't doesn't really matter, but you know, they're uh, they're a couple, and so he's the guy who is running the what's it called the 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 place where Silas is working. Or he's, yeah, he uh, yeah, the place where Silas is working. <laughs> what's the name of the damn place? It's a uh, uh, culling zombie culling facility oh i see they're they're drawing the zombies in and he's running this small team um so their relationship is strained huck and dennis i mean she's been away for two years right and the episode alludes to him having done something resulting in him being pulled from active duty he said and put on decontamination duty at this culling Mm -hmm. facility and their relationship is sort of strained because of that but also because she was gone I'm curious about how that's going to factor into sort of Huck's overall mental state and, you know, what she does and so on. But I also just don't find it real interesting, <laughs> you know? Well, it, unless uh, somebody tells me better, my assumption is that he farted really loud in a formal meeting. Uh, and that just went, they just like, we can't, we can't take you seriously anymore. You have to go and... Uh you know, deal with zombies. You've got to be part of the decontamination team after you contaminated this place so bad. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta call zombies after a while for, uh, for farting that loud. Right. Well, I don't know what, whatever it is, uh, it better be interesting because I'm not really finding their relationship interesting so far. Um, and I feel like we're just going to get more and more of that until he probably is killed off to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I've been hanging around with five-year-olds too long, talking about farting all the time. <laughs> I guess. Sorry, my I apologies. Guess, I guess maybe you have, but you know, it happens. That's what five-year-olds talk about. 
All right. Well, if we move on from Huck, then uh, Elton and Percy. So Elton and Percy are, uh, you know, out in the wilderness. They are apparently looking for the rest of the gang and they run into this other couple of teenagers. Another example where you meet new yep. characters. They're always like 18 or something like that. Yep. And they turn out to be residents of the perimeter and they end up taking them there so they can be reunited with Iris and Felix. Um, so what they're doing is a bit odd though, right? Uh, they're, uh, is this something that all of the perimeter does or just these this brother and sister team? Because they're a brother and sister, right? Yes, they're brother and sister. They're uh, Indira's children. Yeah, so uh, so they're carving out the eyes of zombies and mm-hmm. then putting flowers in the eye sockets. Yeah, so how does she explain it? She she figures that, um, you know, there's still, what does she say? Not that there's still something in there, but she's sort of respecting them in a way. Yeah, the soul, she figures the soul is trapped yeah. until, uh, you know, in the, in the zombie, but can't move on to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. I personally don't believe that. Like there's two different kinds of undead, right? There's the, uh, your basic walking dead, uh, zombie type things, which are animated corpses without a soul. The soul has moved on and the, the corpse is animated. Right. And then you have your liches and your vampires, uh, which are undead, but the soul still resides in the undead form until they, uh, are able to move on and they're more intelligent and they're, uh, a little more sexy, let's say, cause they're vampires and vampires are sexy. Of course they are. Uh, so, and then ghosts, which are souls without the body that, uh, that haven't moved on. Right. Okay, so, you, yep. you know, you have your, your, you know, your basic categories of deceased persons. Sure. So personally, I don't believe that the soul is trapped in the zombie at all. The soul has moved on. So, but. She believes that the soul is still there and they, they're honoring it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I, I just don't, I don't know if it's just these two brothers and brother and sister team that are doing this or whether it's the entire, uh, outpost. Outpost? Perimeter. Outpost, Perimeter. Yeah. Because they, they, it is an artist community, right? So yeah. who knows what they're, but it used to be an artist community. These aren't artists. They just, do you, by living in an artist, formerly artist community, do you become artsy fartsy? I, maybe you Is do. Is that a thing? I don't Infected know. Infected by the artsy fartsy virus? <laughs> by living in a, uh, an art home? Maybe. I don't know. But I, 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 I agree with you. I don't know if it's a thing they all do or if it's just these two. But I also question, like, I, I know you've explained it, but I wasn't interested. Like, okay, that's great. This is a thing they do. All of this felt like filler to me a little bit. Uh, they're attacked by zombies. Well, Elton and Percy are attacked by zombies coming out of the leaves, right? And yeah. okay, fine. That was kind of cool. It was sort of a fun set piece, but what purpose did it serve? Uh, really? I mean, it was sort of a zombie attack scene and Hey, it's not the first time they've done stuff like this just to get some zombies in an episode. But it felt to me like the whole point of it was to remind us that Elton wears bite-proof corduroy because he gets bit in the arm at the end and yep. she goes to chop his arm off, but he shows her that he's fine because they can't bite through his jacket. <laughs> yeah, it's really hot, but uh, yeah, it would be, it would work as a, a decent last line of defense. It would, it would be fine. But like the whole point of that was to remind us that he's got that on. Uh, I hadn't really forgot, but I guess I hadn't also thought about it in a while. Well, they also had to get it off him, right? Because she takes it. She, she takes, takes it. His clothes. She takes his clothes. So 
we had to have a reason to swap clothes. Is that going to be important? I, I don't g- know. I guess he's walking around as an un- in his underwear now. Uh, so I that's guess that's very high school. That's a that's a high school stress dream if I ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Um, but I don't know. It just they 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 run into these two and. They try to talk to them. Percy steals from them. They go through this scene in the leaves with the zombies, and eventually they take them back to the perimeter. Uh, The other thing I guess you could say we learned is kind of how the perimeter works a little bit, because they have to go through this zone where there's a bunch of signs that say, stay away, uh, danger, you know, contaminated area or whatever. And that's supposed to uh, convince people to turn around and not end up at the perimeter. So, um... Sure. Okay. Good to know. I mean, that might come into play later on, I suppose, but uh, it seems like it went through an awful lot just to get these two characters into the perimeter and reunited with uh, Iris and Felix. Did Iris and Felix have to go through that rigmarole to get there? They didn't put on masks or hoods or have anything or see any signs that we saw. This was all new. Will brought them there, remember? So maybe he didn't think that was important, bringing those two, them two there? Well, why would the brother and sister put on masks uh, if they also know that it's fake and just put on the hoods on uh, Percy and, uh, and what's his eyebrows? And then it just, it, it seems like a, a level of pageantry that, uh, A, we haven't seen before. Uh, in in Iris going to uh, going to this place, uh, and B the pageantry is only short lived and not really effective for uh, bringing them to the uh, to the place because yeah. they just immediately know that it's all fake. Well, that's so what I was going to say. Did, why did they put on the masks? Yeah, who was it for? I, you and me, for us, the audience, for something to do. I feel like, and that's why I just don't like this stuff because it's, it's one thing for, well, it just doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense what's going on on the screen and it feels like they're just doing stuff for the sake of, of doing it. Well, the big uh, reveal was that they were, uh, they were at the perimeter, right? Yes. That, uh, that was un- an unknown and it would, I guess it was for us. Because we didn't see that before, so we this is this is new, seems like a new place that they're going. It's like, oh my god, where are they going? That uh, that has uh, that requires them to wear gas masks. Mm-hmm. And oh my god, they're not putting gas masks on them; they're just putting hoods on them. What's going on? Oh, it's just a perimeter. Okay, fine. <laughs> That's right. Okay, but see, it's they're like faking us out with with stuff, right? What's the point of doing that? Because they want some drama for the audience, and that's how they do it. But really. There's no point to it other than that. It's not important to the story. I mean, unless it is, but I don't know. I bet you three shellings uh, that it never comes up again. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. That's, I have, I have the same feeling and that's exactly why I don't like it. You know? I hope I don't lose. I don't have any shillings. Yeah. You better careful, man. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any shillings? I do not. So what are we going to (laughs) do? This is a weird bet. Yeah. All right. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and then when Elton is there, uh, you know, he sees hope and he kind of remembers what happened with his mother and all that stuff from the first episode of season one. And he wanders off into the forest. He's all upset and he ends up discovering 
a bunch of medication and medical supplies that are hidden out there that turns out to be for Indira, the leader of the perimeter. So she's sick, and I don't know if she's imminently dying, but she's probably not doing so great. It is the zombie apocalypse after all, and she needs the dialysis or whatever that machine was. And so that's got to be important. That's got to play into it somehow, right? Um, So I'm fine with that. You know, it felt a little clunky to get there. But now we know this about Indira, and uh, that's going to be important to the story at some point. So, okay, I guess the whole point of it was that, getting us to that point? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, that's all I can, can really think, but felt like a lot of work just to get there. Um, but let's talk about uh, Silas for a minute. Sure. Be- because here's another thing where I was sort of like, all right, this is kind of cool, but what's the point? Um, he's working with these guys at this zombie culling facility. And then the other three people he's working with, I call them his coworkers. They put him through this initiation uh, thing where they throw him into a big warehouse full of like, parade or circusy type stuff and they make him kill some zombies in there and when he's done they come in and say like oh he got almost a desert he got nine in two minutes or something like that which almost breaks the record and sure it's fun to watch but really like what what are we doing here just trying to bring silas closer to these guys or no we're just again manufactured drama yeah because uh you know he almost broke the record uh, but if they built this thing, then the record is held by somebody who knew exactly what was going on right. when he was in there uh, bashing zombies. Uh, give Silas another chance. Like, let him go through the gauntlet again. Yeah. Uh, now that he knows what's going on, give him a chance to break the record. I think Silas could easily break that record now that he knows that it's not a real situation. Yeah, fair enough. Jeez. Good point. But uh, the whole thing seemed like just, again, manufactured drama just like oh no they threw him in they're gonna kill him he's he's on his own now oh it's just a thing okay fine right it's just a thing (laughs) um so again i thought it was fun to watch but not really consequential in any greater way um the other thing about silas though is he starts to get close to dennis his boss and as we've already talked about huck's partner and (laughs) you want to hear something weird yeah i didn't put the two together I didn't think Dennis was the same guy, Huck's uh, uh, boss and uh, what's her name's boyfriend. I didn't, uh, I thought they were two separate guys. What? Really? Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. See, information is just flowing in and out of my head without uh, sticking anywhere. I just thought they, I just assumed they were two different guys for some reason. I didn't put that together at all until you mentioned it. Well, it's it's funny you say that because I, I was never sort of unsure about that, but there is a scene where Silas and Dennis are talking in this, this it looks like a workshop where- um, Oh, this room is one of my points that I wanted to bring up. Make your point first, please. Sure. It's, so this is a workshop with a bed in it where Dennis appears to be living. Yet earlier on, we see him in Huck's apartment, I guess, making uh, making dinner. So I, I wasn't sure if he, where he lives or what really the status of the relationship is. But what I was going to say is at one point they're in there, Silas and mentions Huck to Dennis, he she he uses the name Huck, but Dennis doesn't seem to recognize that name, and uh, I think he refers to her as an old battle axe. So he doesn't know her by that name, which is fine because maybe that's a name she only used out on her mission to bring hope 
to yep. the research facility, right? But at the same time, you saying, I didn't even realize these were the same people. I'm like, okay, I could see that because D Dennis doesn't seem to know he's the same guy either. <laughs> Maybe it isn't the same guy. Maybe it's two guys. It's two twins, but it's not because, and earlier in the episode, or maybe the previous episode, I forget. But at the end of the workday, he got in a helicopter and left, right? Uh, uh, Dennis got into a helicopter and buggered off. The rest of them had to stay there. He said, blah, blah, blah is in charge until I get back. And then a helicopter flew over. So he got into a helicopter and flew back to uh, to have a date with Huck. I guess that's what Jennifer. he was doing. Yeah. But uh, it's just, and now he has, so he doesn't live here, but he has a bedroom in his workshop. I mean, I guess when he needs to get an early start to the next day and he wants to spend the night, that's where he stays. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, his relationship with Silas, I found weird too, because at, at one point early on, like Silas is not really paying attention to the job, right? He's not sort of, his mind isn't in it. And, and Dennis kind of scolds him for that. But then the next thing we see they're hanging out together and they're chatting like they're buddies. And so I didn't quite get how we went from one feeling to the next. It's well, I mean, it's, you know, on the job and off the job, right? So if you're on the job, keep your, you know, you have one attitude against your subordinates that are not paying attention. But uh, once the, once you're off the clock, I mean, you can have a more of a heart to heart kind of conversation without scolding. Okay. I guess. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. That's, I mean, that kind of makes sense, but it still feels weird. I don't know. Um, but ultimately, uh, at the end of the second episode, Will finds out that Silas is at this culling outpost. Yep. And he indicates that this may be the key to getting everybody out of the CRM, the research facility. So clearly the fact that Silas is there is important to a plan that Will has suddenly devised and is going to share with Felix and everybody for getting them out. I am interested to see where that goes, honestly, and, and see what comes of it, because that could be kind of fun if they're going to raid this place or attack it or do something like that. So I don't know, but it seems like Silas being there, the whole point is to give them someone kind of on the inside that's not Hope, who can who can help them with this plan, whatever it might be. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But what I wanted to say about this room that uh, Dennis was in, so right. it had, uh, it had a uh, pegboard uh, on all the walls with guitars hanging up, a workbench, a, uh, a bed on a two by four platform with like a two by four, uh, four poster kind of shelfy thing over top of it. Uh, this room is probably, my ideal bedroom. This is, if I could build any bedroom in the world for me to feel comfortable and happy, uh, this is exactly what it would look like. Minus the hubcaps. I have no interest in hubcaps. It'd probably have more Lego, less hubcaps, but it would have a workbench. It would have, uh, and by that I mean the bed, and then it would have another workbench where you could uh, uh, use the power tools. You're right. Of course. <laughs> uh, so, but it would, it would be this kind of style. It would just be kind of rough wood, a rough two by four, uh, a futon on a platform with pegboard where you could hang whatever the fuck you wanted on any part of the wall that you wanted. You put up shelves, you could put up hooks, you could hang guitars, you'd hang whatever you wanted. Uh, the, it, 
I applaud the uh, this, the uh, the the set designer for this particular room. This is uh, this is perfect. I do agree. It seems like a pretty pretty fun room if if you're into all that kind of stuff. So uh, cool room, but but I mean that's kind of where it ends. I would say. Well, yeah, yeah. It just I mean this room probably will never be shown in the show anymore. It'll just remain in my dreams for the rest of my life as somewhere that I will never live. Maybe someday you can build your own workshop slash bedroom slash power tool Lego sanctuary. I kind of hope not <laughs> because uh, that would mean that I have complete con- creative control over my uh, my sleeping space ah. uh, and I never want to be in that situation. I hear you. <laughs> so uh, I'm, you know, it is nice to look at and to dream about, but uh, I hope I never have the... Uh, uh, the chance to put this together. Fair enough. I hear you. All right. Well, should we talk about Hope a little bit? Uh, sure. So we do get to see her at the CRM and we get to see her in a class, in a, some sort of science class in high school. And this class, here's something interesting about this, this episode. The class is led by Dr. Ellis. And Dr. Ellis, this isn't the first time we've heard about Dr. Ellis, Jason. Well, he was, uh, wasn't he on the Planet of the Apes? Dr. Ellis, Dr. Ellis. <laughs> no. Doc, Dr. Zayas, isn't Doc, it? Dr. Zayas, yeah. Okay. Uh, Dr. Ellis is referred to not once, but twice by Eugene Porter on the main show. Apparently... Eugene mentions Dr. Ellis being his boss at the Human Genome Project and that his mullet made him look like a fun guy. <laughs> well, so he's bald now. Yeah. Sorry. Ellis said, no, not Dr. Ellis. Ellis said that Eugene's mullet made him look like a fun guy. Oh, yeah. No, that I agree with. Yeah. Uh, but according to the Walking Dead wiki, where I was reading about this, it's later revealed that Eugene has never met Dr. Ellis so he doesn't know who he is or what he looks like really probably, but he did work under him at the Human Genome Project back in the before times, uh, which is fun. So a little Easter egg in a way. This guy's ended up at the CRM research facility and he had potentially some interaction with uh, Eugene way, way, way back. So what kind of uh, classroom was this? I, I assume it was some kind of chemistry class, right? Well, I don't know exactly what they were learning, but they talked an awful lot about fermentation and using that to uh, accelerate the decomposition of the zombies. Therefore, they're not as much of a threat, which we know is what they're trying to do, right? Yeah, but there was, okay, so there was, there's chemical formulas on the whiteboard mm-hmm. uh, that they had there. So I assume it was some kind of chemistry. And I've taken, uh, well, not a lot of chemistry, but quite a bit of chemistry. I took chemistry all the way through high school. Uh, and into OAC, which we talked about that they don't have anymore. And I even took first year chemistry at, uh, at university and, uh, never came anywhere near this kind of level. So I'm a little bit curious as to, uh, what this is. It seems like a bunch of high school students, but it's at least third year, uh, university chemistry because when I took first year chemistry it's because I had already taken OACs which now got rolled into first year university so my first year chemistry was like a second year chemistry right uh, right so 
I, I, I think that's shit. I think that's part of the point though, right? The there's these kids, these people in this class are all supposed to be the smartest of the smart, the geniuses, right? And maybe some of them are a little bit older, so they've been doing this longer. They've definitely been at this research facility longer than hope, but I think the point is this is like advanced university level chemistry and I think that the scene with hope talking about yeast and all the uh, all the th- the theory fermenting, she comes yeah. and the fermenting and the theory she comes up with right in the way Mason that's the guy's name the I assume love interest for her um, uh, has a discussion or a debate about it with her I think that's supposed to tell us that yeah this is not they may be high school age but they're not high school level when it comes to the studying or the science that they're doing right yeah and and I can. I can uh, I can understand that. Just you know, and I'm going to talk about Jasper. I tend to talk about Jasper quite a bit that, that I've noticing, especially in this episode. He's in senior kindergarten right now, right? And he's learning shit that I did not learn until like grade three or grade four. Like he came in talking about fractions. Uh, he said, "I want to." We asked him how much of a we got soft pretzels the other day. And it's like, do you want the soft pretzels? Like, no, I don't want the soft. I want three quarters of the soft pretzel. <laughs> I want to save a quarter for later. Okay. And I'm like, dude, you just fucking added fractions. Like, <laughs> how do you do that in junior kindergarten? <laughs> Senior kindergarten. Senior kindergarten. And then the other, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, probably. He came home and asked me uh, what I knew about, um, oh, the guy who painted Campbell's soup cans. How babies are made? <laughs> no, not how babies are made, but that's probably coming. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. It's like, what do you know about Andy Warhol? It's like, like, do you know Andy Warhol? It's like, yeah, I know about Andy. How do you know about Andy Warhol? <laughs> so apparently his art teacher was teaching him about Andy Warhol and the different, and the soup cans. Huh. Uh, it's like fucking kindergarten. I didn't learn that until high school. Sure. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> so. That's amazing. Uh, it is, but it's kind of, it's scary at the amount of information that they're throwing at kindergartners nowadays. I guess, but if anyone can handle it, Jasper can. Well, it's not just him though. This is what the, they're teaching the whole class. I guess, right? yeah. It's, it's the information they're feeding them is uh, much more rapid than what they fed me. I remember, all I remember from kindergarten is fucking finger painting and not to run with scissors. And eating glue. I don't think, don't know if I ate glue, but I did get kissed uh, by Karen on the cheek during the uh, national anthem. I do remember that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Jasper's advanced, and that's clear. And they're they're teaching him a lot of valuable information. And Hope already knows all this valuable information, and she's very advanced as well. And uh, moving, moving. So this the is a graduate forward. course in uh, in chemistry. Yeah. But it is high school because the first thing, thing she does is meet a boy and then go to a party where there's alcohol. Right. <gasps> Which they're probably making themselves. We know that Hope was making booze back at the campus. Uh, and that's how she knows so much about fermentation, apparently. Yeah. I knew when I was in grade school, when I was in grade seven, I knew a guy that was in high school that uh, made his own choke cherry wine. Uh, so that's not a big deal. Was, you know, making your own wine and stuff, making your own spirits. I guess. You can figure that out. He figured it out. Man, we got wasted. Seven, grade seven, drinking fucking choke cherry wine out in the woods. Oh my God. Okay. So that, I, that I believe. That part is absolutely believable for me. Right. It really hits home for you. <laughs> 
Yeah, it really hits home. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyways, Hope, I mean, that's what she's doing. She seems to me to be struggling a little bit between, you know, being this genius and wanting to use her genius scientific powers to actually help, but balance that with being loyal to her friends, you know, and finding them, which is why she she goes out to try to convince them to come back. Um, so, you know, that's fine. I'm okay with that, but I just wish they centered the story a little bit more around again actually what she was doing um at the in the in the research facility you know i'm i I just find myself more interested in that um the thing is though i do have to admit that when hope went to the perimeter and meets up with everybody i want to talk about felix a little bit and how he reacted but before that there's a scene where hope and iris sit around a fire and talk and that was actually one of my favorite scenes of the episode like i actually really liked that one because for once in these two episodes i felt like it was a genuine conversation between two sisters you know they it felt like they really knew each other they kind of joked about their dad having a girlfriend and they were just honest with each other instead of like amping up the drama for no reason so right i have to give the episode that at least because i did enjoy that scene and i just wish there was more of it i wish there was more of that sort of genuine kind of conversation between some of these characters now speaking of felix man oh man um nico tortorella i didn't know him before fear the uh before walking dead world beyond and i thought for the most part i've liked a lot of his work but I think in this episode, he was a little out of his depth a bit or something because, man, oh man, I did not enjoy his scenes at the perimeter. You know, he's so mad at what Huck did, which is understandable, you know. Which is why he called her Jennifer. Exactly. Which why yeah. he, he, he used her, her like real name as a derogatory, which is funny. Um, <laughs> which is my wife's name, so I thought I, I laughed every time. Oh yeah, good times. So that's right. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> But he was so melodramatic in the portrayal of his rage towards Jennifer. And he just did this thing. I don't know if it was just me, but he would constantly tilt his head down and raise his eyes up and stare at her. And like, that's his way of making himself look angry. And I'm like, dude, it's fine one minute, but like, you can't do that the whole episode. So yeah, I just feel like maybe Nico Tortorella is not so great at playing angry very well. Uh, and I, it took me out of it, took me out of it a bit. And then Huck goes for a walk and he just follows her around like 10 feet behind her the whole time. And, you know, until they have to (laughs) confront each other again. And I'm like, this is so silly. I mean, yes, he doesn't trust her and he's pissed and all these things, but like, you're just going to follow her around and stare at her meanly all day. Like, oh no, what will she ever do? So yeah, don't, don't you do that when you're mad at somebody, just follow follow them around and stare at them meanly. Right. I mean, what, why not? Right. (laughs) So I don't know. So I wasn't impressed with any of that either. Um, so I just, I hope they resolve that somehow soon and I, I suspect they will, but I don't know. I can't handle watching Felix like try to death stare her to death anymore. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. 
uh, I don't know, man. Any anything else here you want to want to cover? I I just I don't want to just sit here and shit on the thing the whole time. But uh, but yeah, these these two episodes didn't work for me. I I really hope they can get back to what was good in the next couple. Um, but I don't know. I am not sure. Do we want to talk about the speech at the end? You know, I I wasn't going to, but do you have some thoughts on it? It was made. It was uh, Kublik delivering like a radio address, or or I guess she was on a video camera, but some sort of speech to the to the community. Yeah, and they had a had a CRM flag, which again, the uh, the the uh, propaganda department for the CRM is uh, top notch for oh, generating yeah. everything. Uh, they probably had uh, you know the CRM logo on the camera itself and on the card reader for that camera. Oh yeah. It's probably a digital camera. Yep. The battery, I'm sure probably the, yeah. the power cord had the CRM logo stamped on it. Everything. Yeah. yeah. It's like when you get a label maker for the first time, you first thing you do <laughs> is go to town, print out label maker, and then you stick it to the label maker. Right. <laughs> of course. Who wouldn't do that? <laughs> Why would you not do that? Yeah. How are you going to know the label maker is a label maker unless there's a label on it saying label maker. You took it out of the package, so it needs to be labeled. <laughs> That's right. All right. <laughs> so, uh, well, okay. So the speech was that, uh, that, so Omaha was lost and so was the, uh, the campus yeah. and that zombies overran them. Right. So she out and out lied to Portland. Was it, she was talking to, you know, be vigilant and don't worry, we got your back. Yep. Uh, when in fact we, you know, we had no hope of holding those two communities, uh, uh, you know, being able to save them in any way, shape or form, but everything's under control and you guys are fine, you know, just right. be vigilant and uh, keep an eye out. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, looking out for zombies uh, and let us know if you see any, that'd be great. Yeah, no, that's what it was. And it was, it was trying to maintain a level of, I mean, friendship's not the right word, but a relationship with, with Portland and also speak to the rest of her people too, at the civic Republic, I guess. And, and show some compassion for, for what happened. Uh, so that's going to come back to bite her in the ass, I am sure. Um, but it's also the scene where Huck shows up and she watches her deliver this speech to, to the camera. And then Huck questions her, starts questioning her about what actually happened. And this is where Huck realizes that, oh my God, maybe Iris and Felix are right. And that this wasn't an accident. It was orchestrated by her own mother. So that's kind of why I said at the beginning, I think Huck is going to be a huge part of all this um, because she's kind of got both sides going on and she's going to have to turn on her mother to help the rest of them take down the CRM. Yeah. You know? Yeah, not much. I just wanted to bring it up that uh, that speech happened. Yeah, for sure. I guess I have two more things. One note I wanted to make is that Mason... Um, Hope's future boyfriend, he does mention to her that all those kids are allowed to go home to see their family for two weeks each year, uh, which I guess is nice. And that reveals something about the CRM if he's A, telling the truth and B, I don't know, not part of <laughs> part of this evil organization and he's manipulating hope in some way. I don't really, I don't really get that feeling yet, but I suppose anything's possible. But I did think that was interesting. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that the CRM would be willing to do 
because Leo Bennett's never gone home. Like, why is he not allowed to go home and leave even before the campus was destroyed? So was it, has, has he been there longer than a year? Well, that's a good question. I feel like I he it has. De- it depends on how, how fast your vacation time accrues, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he only has two days right now and he can't get there and back in two days. Well, maybe he wanted to go somewhere with his girlfriend, right? He oh, sure. To go out into, uh, I guess a gazebo on the front lines, if we've learned anything, um, <laughs> yeah, about the, in the big show that, uh, that's where you take, uh, you take your girlfriend on a date is, uh, somewhere dangerous. Oh yeah. And you get, uh, you're very uppity when, uh, somebody has to save you. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. So we don't really know. Um, I did just think it was kind of interesting that they made a point to, uh, tell us this. Um, but, but only I, two weeks a year, that uh, that vacation package sucks. Well, especially when you have to take like a horse and buggy everywhere. You know, it takes a long time to get anywhere at, yeah, with a travel horse. times are significant. So, uh, you know, at least three weeks a year would be, uh, you know, a good baseline to start. Definitely, definitely nicer for sure. I guess the only other thing is that this other character that's been name dropped a couple of times, Major General Beale. Uh, Kublik and uh, maybe one or two other people have referenced this character. Um, he's mentioned in Huck's reinstatement hearing, which is something we saw in these episodes. And then, yeah, we've heard Kublik mention him. So I'm just curious about who he is, when we're going to be revealed to this character. I guess it's just like the uppermost brass of the of the Civic Republic military. Um who's calling the shots ultimately, but what part is this character going to play? I don't know, but I'm, I am sort of curious to find that out because they wouldn't, they wouldn't be bringing him up without, um, without it being important for some reason, right? They can't be. You would think. (laughs) You would think. Yeah. And I say he, because I'm almost positive that, um, Kublik at one point referred to Major General Beale as a he. Uh, so I'm not, trying to be sexist there could be a woman, but, um, as far as we know, as far as we know, it's, it's a man or at least okay. someone who identifies with he. So yeah, I don't know. It seems, seems interesting that we might find out a little bit more about that. But, uh, other than that, boy, oh boy, I was not impressed with these two and, uh, don't really know. I just hope we can move past them, you know? Well, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, and, and also maybe if we take a little break from World Beyond uh, to cover fear, then it'll be, it'll sort of fade from my memory a little bit. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> we can hope that too. Yeah. <laughs> we can always hope. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if you guys feel different or have any thoughts or, or comments or anything like that, you can let us know because I would love to find more stuff about these two episodes that uh, people thought were good because it would be fun to hear. And I'm willing to have my mind changed. I am open to that. Absolutely. That's nice. Yeah. That's good. All right. Before we wrap up uh, here today, I do want to throw a thank you out to a new patron who recently joined at patreon.com slash the talking dead. And that would be Joseph W. Thank you, Joseph, for becoming a patron. We very, very much appreciate it. Uh, Just a reminder, everyone, that we will resume our Walking Dead Season 11 prize extravaganza when that show returns in February of next year. Until then, we won't be shipping out uh, or doing any any weekly prizes, but um, please continue to be patrons and continue to sign up, and you will be entered into 
all of those weekly draws from the various vessels that Jason reaches into to uh, choose who the winner is. Yeah, there's going to be some weird containers going forward. I'm sure there will be. <laughs> but if it'll hold a slip of paper, I'm going to stick my hand in it. Sweet. That sounds weird, but also awesome. <laughs> Anyways, I look forward to that, but thank you, Joseph W., for becoming a patron. If you would like to support the show in that way, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash thetalkingdead and uh, signing up there. Okay, coming up next week on the podcast, what I want to do, as I said, is take a little break from World Beyond and switch gears over to Fear of the Walking Dead because it is back. By the time we record next Monday night, a week from right now, there will be three episodes of season seven of Fear the Walking Dead out. So Jason, I want to try to cover all three and get right caught up. Okay, let's do it. Good. I am glad you are on board. Uh, I have heard some things about the beginning of season seven of Fear. I'm not going to talk about anything here because we will spoil it all in a week when we've watched them. But I am looking forward to watching those and talking about them here with you, kind of based on what I know. So let's uh, let's do that in a week with all three episodes. So if you have some comments on those, by all means, send them in as well. And maybe we'll incorporate some of those into the podcast. Awesome. All right. There you go, everyone. Uh, a little bit shorter this week, but that's okay. Uh, next time, fear. After that, more world beyond. And then we'll just ride it through until December when we, we take a little break. So until then, if you want to get in touch with us, by all means, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top to uh, record a message, which will send right into us. Or send your emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, where I will probably tweet this episode and occasionally tweet other stuff as well. That's where I've heard some things about fear, by the way, on, on the Twitter, which is fine. I try to avoid spoilers too much, but uh, sometimes, sometimes stuff just pops up in front of your face and you can't avoid it. I haven't written or read a Twitter in years. I know you haven't. I know. But sometimes I tweet on your behalf. That's nice. <laughs> but don't worry. I always say nice things. That's good. All I right. wouldn't know. Yeah. I, if I didn't say anything, you'd have no idea. That's right. All righty. Well, that's going to do it, everyone. Uh, tune in again next week. Until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Ciao.